Jay Boyar of the Orlando Sentinel says that although the movie presents itself as a hear me roar feminist statement, its view of humanity, both male and female, is so sour and artificial that the women characters come off almost as badly as the men do. Kenneth Turan of the Los Angeles Times says that it's hard to get too upset at a film that offers these actresses the chance to be entertaining. And Letterboxd user Karis Rianne says, I can't wait for my divorce. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of the First Wives Club. Re-re-reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters. Happy almost new year. Happy holidays. away. It's the season. It's the season to be jolly. This, the, it's the season with the reason for no more teasing. Oh boy, yeah. So we're recording this on Christmas night. So we've had a we each had days full of uh, lots of food and the the mania of small children. So yeah, we're we're I mean, here. We're doing this. Yeah. I'll say it's been, you know, relatively calm around here, you know, some, some activities, a lot of good activities in the, in the activities. gift roundup, a lot gotcha. of activities, a lot of great activities because as, as those who, uh, have not listened previously, first of all, welcome to ruined childhoods, Welcome. but, um, I have a six and a half year old daughter, John has a three and a half year old Yeah, and my my six and a half can certainly be a handful at times, but she does do she gets really into activity. She's really into modeling clay, mm. like that air drying modeling clay. Right, she yeah. loves making stuff with that. She got a crystal growing kit. Really? That she yeah, she likes doing these these little different like experiments and things like that. And She's got some cool. books of like experiments to do with household stuff. So I don't know. It's really cool. If you're listening to Ruined Childhoods, you're not here to listen to, you know, parenting. Not This isn't even parenting advice. It's just like stuff. It's just like this is stuff. Just, hey, it's just life, you know? It's no, life, you've man. Come, it's life, but you're not here to hear us talk about life. You're here to hear us talk about art imitating life that does occasionally imitate art. I thought you I thought you were going to say we're not here to talk about lives. We're here to talk about wives. We're talking the about wives what, of right? the first wives club. <laughs> yes. So we that we are. But yeah, so we're talking about the first wives club today and just in general to the, those of you maybe you spoke to a family member, you spoke to someone who said, "Hey, maybe you'll like this podcast." Well, you have you've got some time over break. So just to fill you in on what we do, yeah. we talk about movies. We talk about, I was about to say, like, we talk about classic properties, but they're not all considered classics. They're classics to us, most of them. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's like every movie is somebody's favorite movie. Well, maybe not every movie, but most movies out there, they, there is someone who really loves them. Anyone who who's like participates in movie Twitter recognizes that when you're like, oh man, I thought I was the only one who liked this piece of crap. And then, you know, some 
uh, celebrity posts a random quote from it or something. That happened well, actually also, today. <laughs> well, also, it's like you never know. Somebody could have a very special memory that's tied to like Sharknado 4. Right. And yeah. so that's special to them. It's special. So, but the point is, we're talking about those movies and we're talking about them in the context of what is going to be done with them. Now, of course, when we started this almost two years ago, the question of, well, what would Hollywood do with this property was much more open. And I mean, it's still open, but we weren't there with the caveat, uh, the caveat of, you know, in in the post-COVID times or when we can return to, you know, this we're still, you know, I, I I have this feeling, I know there's a lot of controversy over things like HBO Max deciding to stream their yeah. entire 2021 slate. Uh, yeah, Warner Brothers. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's the controversy uh, around that. But I ultimately, I feel I'm very optimistic that the movie business will rebound in a big way. And that's just because I know that there are so many creative people who have been at home. And I know, like, yes, not everybody is going to have a spurt of creativity while they're quarantined. In fact, it's almost quite, I would say with some people, at least it's quite the opposite. But I feel like this is an opportunity for a lot of people who have those creative juices, you know, to maybe say like, you know, all right, why not? I've always thought about doing, I've I've always had the idea for that, you know, Masters of the Universe sequel, script so why don't i hammer out a treatment why don't i yeah. you know throw throw together a few scenes so and that's what we're talking about is what would what would hollywood the powers that be do with these properties be they franchises be they uh you know like legit legit classics cult classics or just more current favorites or more recent favorites relatively recent like the first wives club Sure, but before we get to that, I did see a little bit of, I don't know if this is necessarily news because it's a rumor, but there are rumblings going around that there's going to be a new uh, addition to the Exorcist franchise brought to us by Blumhouse and David Gordon Green, which, uh, you know, a lot of people might know David Gordon Green, especially in the horror context from like kind of reviving Halloween and uh, um, other people might know him from his earlier work, like George Washington, or is it All the Real Girls? Did he do All the Real Girls? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember other movies he did. He off did top of my head, uh, but... Pineapple Express. Um, yes, okay. Yeah, I'm like Your I know Highness, he did a stoner comedy, <laughs> right? And <laughs> and, a, and a really fun stoner action comedy, I should say. So and Your Highness, <laughs> and Your Highness. Yeah. So uh, that's the only thing that I've seen come up in the. I mean. Sure, there's a lot of stuff going on in reboot, sequel, remake, prequel news, but uh, that that's one that stuck out. I think there were a few that, Dan, you and I actually texted to each other, buried deep in our text thread. I did see, speaking of, of Warner Brothers, that uh, the plans are moving forward for the Mad Max Fury Road spinoff, sure. Furiosa. Mm-hmm. So that should be interesting. Um, Charlize Theron will be returning to the role. She was, of course, incredible. Mad Max Fury Road is just one of the most remarkable yeah, movies amazing. Uh, in in the last 20 years. So uh, interested, interested to see what's going on with that, but not 
No, not much else that I, that I've that I've heard. Not much else in, in the wind. Yeah. So that said, Dan, do you have anything else you wanted to mention about Waterworld? But before we move on to this week's movie of the week, only in that from listening to about five minutes of it, of at least hearing me say the word water, you can tell I'm not originally from <laughs> the Pacific Northwest. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, one thing that we have mentioned is water that world. What a world. Uh, what one a of world. the things that we had texted with each other about is how there is uh, potentially going to be a reboot of Revenge of the Nerds uh, produced by Seth MacFarlane with the Lucas Brothers. And um, as Dan and I have discussed privately, Lucas Brothers, great. Looking forward to that. Personally, Seth MacFarlane uh, makes me nervous for him to be involved. And... While I agree with that, I feel like in in a situation, in a circumstance, a situation where he is not the, um, you know, decision maker, like the the where it's not like unilaterally Seth MacFarlane's project, but where it's kind of another project that he is contributing to, I think there's more possibility, I or more potential, and I think that the premise is really interesting that there it's the this evolution of nerd culture and i was thinking about this in the the article you sent me how nerd culture or what was considered nerd culture uh when the first revenge of the nerds came out certainly yeah. has become mainstream i'm if you think about it if you were to go back to 1990 you were to go back 30 years and tell a comic book fan that Oh, everyone, even like even the, you know, the popular kids are going to know who all the Avengers are and will be very excited to see these movies. And oh, yes, there will be movies. And then that person would have passed out at that by that point in the conversation from shock. But right. I will say, though, the third Revenge of the Nerds movie kind of is kind of does the same thing where it's like the nerds are the popular ones. Like I, I know it, that they're going to do something a little different because it's been a long time since that one. But I think if they go more towards like the like Comic-Con rather than like, right. cause isn't in Revenge of the Nerds three, it's kind of more of like the big it's tech at the school. Yeah. But isn't it like where like Lewis has, you know, made a lot of money because yeah. he's mm-hmm. brilliant. And so it's more like about how, Oh, like Bill Gates is, like making yeah. Lewis kind of a Bill Gates type type character. So, I mean, if they go more of like the Comic-Con route with it and, we'll and did a looser and adaptation, it yeah. could be fun. It could be fun. So it's not like we, I, I per, you know, personally am pulling for like a, a higher, um, higher number of original stories coming out of, of COVID and the quarantine times. Um, so don't mistake, I I don't want anyone to mistake my enthusiasm. I can't speak for, for John, but my enthusiasm for exciting reboots and sequels, it's kind of making the best of a bad situation where Hollywood is kind of just churning out the like, oh, well, huh, this was popular 30 years ago. Let's see. These actors aren't doing anything. Let's get them back for a sequel. Those can be done really well. We've seen them done really well. And, so right, and we'll just have to wait and see how this one yeah. turns out. Yeah, shall we move on to the first wives club? Yes, we shall. Let's move okay. on to the first wife. The only wives club for me. 
Okay. All right. That's fair. That's fair. No, uh, no I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm saying that now, but you know. Yeah. Dan, do you have a, um, I don't know, any personal connection or memories of the first wives club at all? 96. I didn't see it in theaters, but while, while we're, ta- while we're talking about just the general, the year 1996 in movies, mm-hmm. it's right, a fascinating. This is episode 96. We're covering the year 1996, focusing on the First Wives Club. Appropriately so. 1996 has had so many interesting movies made because you had in 94 with Pulp Fiction and Mm -hmm. really in the early 90s in general, you have independent films becoming all the rage. And then on top of that, the witty repartee gangster movies becoming all the rage. So then the ripple effect of that is in 1996, there are so many more auteur driven projects and these like movies like two days in the Valley things to do in Denver when you're dead, these, you know, wacky cast of, of criminals and uh, assassins and hitmen and, and they talk about pop culture. And then in 96, I mean, you also had some really stunning, when I think of 1996, I think of movies like Shine, mm-hmm. which I haven't seen it since. I haven't seen it in a long time, but was so wonderful and really driven by Jeffrey Rush's and Noah Taylor. You got to give Noah Taylor a lot of credit for Shine and uh, playing the younger Jeffrey Helfgott. Um, Uh I remember seeing a film called Secrets and Lies by Mike Lee. It was a largely improvised film um, about family drama. And it was really good. And you had big hits like your Jerry Maguire's and it was Con Air that year. I I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Con Air was 96. Yeah. Um, Was it Independence Day 96? Independence Day, Con Air. I think Con Air and Face Off were both 96. Oh, man. Well, because I think like Nicolas Cage won his Oscar and he was just like, screw it. I want to fight and blow shit up. <laughs> and and I mean, you know, now all these years later, he's an icon. We all know what we all know what he's done. Yes. Yeah. He's, he, you know, and he's an icon for it. So, um, but yeah, First Wives Club, I don't remember when I saw it. It was probably a, a VHS, It's probably mm-hmm. a blockbuster night or... HBO on HBO and yeah. just, you know, I get if you're a child of the 80s and you have and you enjoy, as I do, the, you know, just performances, just the persona like Bette Midler, I generally enjoy, especially when she's doing comedy. Uh, Bette Midler yeah. drama, not so much. Bette Midler comedy, I think Bette Midler is is great and it and often uh, is made better when she's cast with a strong ensemble and you have Goldie Hawn who's flawless in her role and Diane Keaton who, I mean, you're talking about three actresses anchoring a major Hollywood film. And I, I know the studio had expressed some doubt and in fact found its success to be a fluke, but I'm like, how can you lose? Like, how do you miss out? You've got Diane Keaton, Goldie Hawn, and Bette Midler playing divorcees, 
Right. And especially, you know, in, in the mid nineties, it was kind of like the, I don't want to say that the stigma of divorce was gone, but it was so much more common, especially right for women like the characters that they are playing. Yeah, and I I do have to say, First Wives Club is maybe one of the first, if not the first, you know, movie, especially like of this time, to talk about divorce in a kind of a different way, other than the kind of like it's you know focusing on the the really sad parts about it. Like Mrs. Doubtfire is a movie about divorce and it's, you know, the, the whole point is the struggle to reconnect to this family by any means necessary. And then there's movies like Kramer versus Kramer, which I mean, of course that's definitely one of the more dramatic sides of things, but first wives club is, you know, a, a revenge story. And it's, you know, these women who are wronged by, their spouses and you know it's kind of glorifying you know the i don't know the kick assness of these women who i don't know have been wronged and um are, it's are... glorifying the, their kick assness and i you know what i think where i want to go with that i'm going to let you um give the synopsis first before we get too much into talking about it but i want to come back to to that idea and how it is developed in the movie. And I think what it really has to say, especially looking back at that movie now, as we're in the, we are experiencing, we're not, we are experiencing the, the, the me too movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm so wary of saying the word movement ever since uh, <laughs> under siege, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the me too revolution. And, it's such a fascinating film to to look at now with that hindsight almost tw- you know it's about almost 25 years after after it's released and to look at it after these 25 years that have seen we a, a woman uh is the vice president elect yeah and you know to quote the song that's in the movie sisters are doing it for themselves yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely this is i mean we're also in the era of the Spice Girls, girl power. You know, there's definitely a uh, a big focus on that in pop culture at this time. I mean, we could really dig deep into that, but I may as well just move on to the synopsis and we can uh, take it from yeah. there. All right, you ready? Yeah. I am. After the suicide of a wealthy Manhattan socialite, her three best friends from college reunite and discover that they all have marriages that have either fallen apart or are about to fall apart. And after making the connection that their dead friend killed herself the day after her husband married a younger woman, they realize that it's up to them to fight for their dignity in their own failed marriages. Brenda is the mouthy single mother to a nice bar mitzvah boy who were both left by Brenda's ex-husband, Morty, who is now engaged to a PYT named Shelley. Elise is an acclaimed actress who helped get her ex-husband Bill into the movie producing business. But now that Elise has aged out of the types of roles that made her famous, Bill has left her for a young actress named Phoebe Lavelle, leaving Elise all alone in her grief and alcoholism. And when we first meet Annie, she and her husband Aaron are separated, but making progress in counseling, both together and individually with the same therapist. But when Annie discovers that Aaron has been sleeping with their therapist, he explains that he wants a divorce. And this comes as no surprise to their daughter Chris, who thinks that Aaron is a major POS. And with the help of Chris, 
Brenda, Elise, and Annie form a group with the sole mission of making their exes suffer emotionally and, most importantly, financially. For Morty, they discover that Brenda's Sicilian Uncle Carmine helped Morty start his electronic store business with fake books and stolen merchandise. For Bill, they auction off almost all of his most valuable items, primarily to Shelley, who has been duped by the two of their accomplices, and after Chris goes undercover at Aaron's ad agency, she discovers that they're in trouble financially, so the First Wives use the money from the auction to help Annie buy out the bulk of the shares of the agency. Ultimately, they use their money to fund the Cynthia Swan Griffin Crisis Center, a nonprofit women's abuse organization named for their dear college friend. So Annie is played by Diane Keaton, Brenda is played by Bette Midler, which you probably could have guessed when I said mouthy, and Elise is played by Goldie Hawn. Uh, also in the film is um, Maggie Smith, who plays Ganilla Garson Goldberg, who's a another socialite that they know, uh, who they use to dupe Shelley, who's played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Dan Hedaya plays Morty. Uh, Stephen Collins, who is a disgusting disgusting person uh plays aaron marcia gay harden is the therapist victor garber is bill the film the movie producer elizabeth berkeley is phoebe uh oh my god bronson pinchot is uh duarto felice um who is brenda's boss an interior like i think the worst interior designer in the city one sorry one of the 10 worst interior decorators in new york city as he is called stalker channing plays cynthia um, Timothy Oliphant plays Brett Artunian, who is a, a young up-and-coming film director. And I want to let everyone know that they can go to tpublic.com and find our new Timothy Oliphant t-shirt on there, uh, slash other merchandise. Special guest appearances by Gloria Steinem, Ed Koch, Ivana Trump, Kathy Lee Gifford, Heather Locklear, J.K. Simmons, Rob Reiner. Like, it is an insane, insane, insane cast. Oh. Although some of those are like celebrity cameos, others are just right. early Playing roles. J.K. Simmons is like a cop who has one line. Sure. Or he's yeah. not the cop. Rob he's, Reiner is yeah. a, a plastic surgeon who Botoxes um, uh, Elise. Goldie Hawn. Yeah. yeah, so it is this just wild movie. The three of them play off each other so well. I mean, I think that one of the things that made this movie really work is just the three of them like in their primes, like doing what they do best. And they play off each other just so well. Like the scene when they're in Goldie Hawn's apartment and they're like throwing the golden globe across the, oh my God, it's amazing. You think just because I'm a movie star, I don't have feelings. Well, you're wrong. I do have feelings. I'm an actress. I have all of them. Well, I wouldn't understand. You see, I'm just a poor little housewife in a little apron with a little child to raise. Yeah, well, you were always jealous of me, even in college, because I was blonde and beautiful and talented, and I got any uh, guy I, I wanted, guy. and did, every guy, most of the senior class and half the faculty. Well, well uh, it was the 60s. Uh, look at this place. Is this where your fan club meets? Do you have ritual sacrifices? Put that down. Whoa. Put that down. I won that. I remember your first talkie. Yeah, what did you ever win? A pie-eating contest? Best digestion? Oh, oh, no! Brenda, this is a golden globe. It's sacred. It's trademarked! Ah! Are you crazy? Stop it, both of you. Just stop this right this minute. Annie, what? You choose. Who's your friend, me or Brenda? What? Yeah, 
for once in your life make a decision. Who's your buddy? Some Beverly Hills science project? Or a woman with her own aisle at the supermarket? Well, I'm sorry, but I'm not getting involved with this. You both have severe psychological problems, and I, you see, I'm, 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 I'm the nice one here. I'm, I'm, I'm not like this. What? what? Yes, <laughs> nice one? Well, oh I mean, my I, God. You oh mean God. the rag mop, don't you? Me? I mean the one who can't manage a simple declarative sentence? The wimp? The oh, what? Well, I am. Well, I changed, and I'm, I'm much stronger than I used to be. Oh, you are self-righteous, you pipsqueak. Oh, you shut up, you are you... sex kid. Oh, shut up, Morty's girl. Mom, All you care about Moni, Moni, stop it! You're both selfish assholes! It's interesting because so this movie is directed by Hugh Wilson, a.k.a. screenwriter of Police Academy. Didn't he also direct it? Did he? Oh, yeah. I, uh, yes, yes, yes. I think he also I think he also directed it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the original Police Academy. You've got Hugh Wilson and a screenplay by uh, Robert Harling. I want to say who's who also adapted Steel Magnolias. Right. And this is an adapted screenplay from yeah. a book. Yeah. So. It's men writing the script, yeah. directing the film about women, and and of you know, I guess disclaimer: this is also two men talking about this. So Total, yes, absolutely. Take it, ta- you know, take everything we, with. We can only speak from our perspectives, but we do yes. our best to try to put ourselves into the minds of the characters best we can and and i would say that that our perspectives are like you know at least somewhat well informed and like we're we're educated so but um but well that's where i'm coming from so in in looking at this movie and how it addresses not just the relationships between men and women but the relationships between women it really does a a fantastic job of showing Something that I, I guess I hadn't really just been fully aware of before, but between just reading a lot of things coming out in the past few years, stories like women who had never told their stories before. Right, right. And I'm not just talking about like women who, who experienced, you know, very serious, you know, like serious abuse or trauma, but I mean, just women who, exp- you know, went through divorce and w- were in these marriages with men who were, you know, co- were controlling and right, um, and what should also be mentioned, you know, especially with with these three characters, is that they their successful husbands are only successful because of them. So, like, Elise's husband Bill is only successful because she got him into the the film business. Uh, Morty is only successful because. Uh, Bette Midler's or Brenda's uh, uncle Carmine did a bunch of illegal shit to help him become successful. And then also the ad agency that Aaron is like running or whatever was started by Mm -hmm. Annie. So like they are these women who created these men who then rose to, you know, wealth and completely ditched these women who helped them get there. And what you see happen, you see the effect of this and you see how they 
have up to this point allowed themselves to kind of be controlled, like to have their happiness right. rely on, especially Annie, especially yeah. you know, Diane Keaton, but which, but and she's but, so wonderful. And what I, but what I love also love about that is they do show that it is partially her mother. Right. Who is pressuring her and saying, well, even if he's, and she doesn't yet know that Aaron was, it has been unfaithful. Right. Not until she catches him. With the person that she is trusting to help her get through this separation. Oh, it's ridiculous. And how good is Marsha Gay Harden? Oh my God, she's amazing. The therapist. She's yeah. she she's trying to like get them to work through it after she gets caught. It's so wonderful. Uh, and but Diane Keaton, who really should, like doesn't have you know much spine, um, who does she has opinions, but you and you see her. She's so uptight and holding them back. And so, yeah. like Diane Keaton is just such a, a wonderful actress to. So in good. in those roles and um but then you even take a character like Brenda and I, I am getting mm-hmm. to a point um oh, yeah. you take a character like Brenda who is much more assertive and brash with other women yeah and with Morty it's more snide like side comments and she, she still has a sentiment sentimentality towards him she talks about how you know at the jason's bar mitzvah jason's how bar she mitzvah. always sorry jason's bar mitzvah for jason's bar jason's bar mitzvah is made a very big deal of and then it happens and you're like oh that was the bar mitzvah yeah, already it. yeah so uh but like she doesn't she still learns this assertiveness and what i what you see goldie hawn really is is uh at least She's insecure. She just buries it all under Botox. Yeah. Um, but what I love is, well, is uh, you see- I I want to and just booze. pause. <laughs> I just want to pause right there. Yes, booze definitely. But the the Botox in any like you know plastic surgery or anything like that that she's done has been really to stay relevant in her career i wouldn't say that she's hiding behind the botox the time has come spill those lips what's in them are they wax excuse me what else did you have done come on elise you can tell me the cheekbones the jawline do you just have a little bit or the full enchilada i work out every day i watch my diet I have not had plastic surgery. Well, good for you. You look terrific. Oh, come on. At least you're lying through your caps. Okay. All right. I have been freshened up a little bit. Oh, God. Does it hurt? Mm, no. What do they do with the stuff they take off? Do you get to keep it? Oh, come on, Brenda. It's the 90s, for God's sakes. I mean, it's like plastic surgery is like good grooming. It's like uh, brushing your teeth. At least. Look at you. You have been yanked and stitched and stuffed and pulled. You're a turkey. Oh, and what? to please who? Wait Your ex-husband? No, to please everybody. To please everybody. Everybody. Men, Everyone. women, studio executives. I mean, come on. I mean, youth and beauty, man. I mean, that's the ticket. When men, <laughs> no, when women oh. get to be a certain age. Bye-bye, love. Hello, Pop-Tarts. That's right, baby. It's Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I'm going to argue that it's not about staying relevant in her career. I'm going to argue that it's to stay 
young because she's not she it's not like she's not getting offers they want her to play uh was it the mother right but also right in, in but that's the thing is it's her career she's it's less i think about her ex-husband and more about the career because she does say yes. that like you know she doesn't like she doesn't want to do this stuff but she just has to like she feels like well, she has to no she says that yeah but she feels like she has to because her husband dumped her for like elizabeth berkeley who we 1996 is 16 years old yeah yeah we're talking like this is elizabeth like like just post showgirls elizabeth berkeley yeah. that he has that he's dumped her for what i love is how you you see that the influence of these men on these women turns them against each other, mm-hmm. but well, and scenes like that with the Golden Globe, and they get angry and they and they fight and they take out these insecurities on each other, and in a lot of these accounts, I've heard a lot of women talk about have. Uh, that I've that I've you know read writings by have have written or spoken about how you know in a, in in a more subtly abusive relationship you're gonna be you know there's the potential of getting turned against the people who are there to support you yeah. so like mm-hmm. the the people who might say to you like this guy's no good you got to get away from him. You get yeah. turned against them, whether it's through like, you know, gaslighting or or whatever. But in in First Wives Club, we really, really, really see what happens both when they turn against each other, but then also what happens when they when they work together and they recognize each other's strengths and work together to be independent and yes. through actually relying on each other and placing placing that trust and faith in each other they each gain that independence and they end up doing something that in the right like you said it's it, it starts as revenge right but they make the point that like that would just be petty which i i i love that they make that point because you watch about half of the movie and you're just like i i want to root for them but like this is this right. is kind of it's yeah. turning them into the people that their ex-husbands say that they are. So yes. especially with Dan Hedaya and with Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, God, she's awful. Yeah. I mean, she's oh really God. good in the role. But oh, Sarah Jessica Parker is great, but Shelly is the worst. Yeah, Shelly is terrible. Uh, although you have to really enjoy the Maggie Smith Bronson Pinchot moments with Sarah Jessica Parker. Those are just so good. Lot 57, the fine Yung Cheng Charger showing here, and $90,000 to start this. $90,000 is bid. Thank you, sir. $90,000. $100,000. New bidder now. $110,000. Ladies, three dealer now. $110,000. $115,000. Thank you, sir. $115,000 now. Bid here. It's cute. Oh, that's blind. Essential. Oxygen. $125,000. In a new place now. $125,000. Front. One hundred and thirty thousand dollars. New bid around. Front. Sally, she must be very rich. Show business teacher. Come on. Come on. One thirty. Our warning then. At one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. One thirty. One hundred and thirty-five thousand. One hundred and thirty-five thousand. Who's she? She looks familiar. Just someone very,
Don't they have enough? Against the wall now, 140,000 And here's a question. So Paramount produced Beverly Hills Cop and First Wives Club. Why couldn't we just have Serge? Why could Serge, it not just be Serge? A crossover? <laughs> Why not? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, he's the, Beverly Hills based. Come on. Well, yeah, but it's two years post Beverly Hills Cop 3. He doesn't have to be selling weapons anymore. Maybe he got out of the weapons business and maybe he changed his name to Duarto so that okay, he could well, have then a new the, life. The secret you oh, know, damn. subplot that we have going on. There's the spinoff that I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, you're totally right. You know, it definitely starts off as this revenge thing where it seems to be all about money and they do the right thing and they shift it and they really make it so that they, first of all, level the playing field between kind of where they are you know, emotionally and with their self-esteem and confidence. Uh, and then also they do the right thing with their money that they have and the opportunities that they have to create this crisis center. And it's, it's great. And that's something that also the, like the need for that and just the need for people to know that there is support out there. That is something that is as relevant today as it was that it that's something that's always going to be relevant that's mm-hmm. that's one of the factors that makes this movie a movie that you can come back to and and look at 25 years later without saying that oh well yeah maybe in 1996 yeah and also it's one of the movies from that era where there is a trump reference that is about how shitty he is Yes. Because, yes. You know, at that time, there was a lot of th- like any reference was just about him being a rich person that everybody knew about. But in this case, it was Ivana talking well, about, you know, one line. I think it's I think she's the one that even says just like Ivana, I want to thank you for coming so much. You're an angel. Well, of course, Alex. thank you so much again. Huh? Ladies, we have to be strong and independent. And remember what? Don't get, get mad. Get, get everything. everything. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye now. Get everything. Don't get, get everything. mad. Get, ev- get everything. Yeah. yeah. So, which, granted, like, she's abetted them, and she also birthed those three beasts. Yeah. Uh, so, so, it should also, we can't really talk too much longer without mentioning that, of course, this is these are three... Very wealthy women. The least wealthy yes. of them is yes. Brenda, who still has like a really great place in New York. That's not she that bad. It's I mean, yeah. in comparison to Morty's place, it's she has a shocking. Yeah. Bit. Well, yeah. Brenda has like a more of a normal person's a home. Modest she also has a home in New York. Yeah. 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 And it's not like so, she has a super fancy job. She works for the 10th worst interior decorator in new york so uh but no you're absolutely right and that's 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 really a great point to make in looking back at this 
is that, yeah, it is three wealthy white women. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, oh, you know what, now that I'm actually thinking about it, it's like, I, I think that the, um, the less fancy equivalent to this, which is funny because there's also like a mob situation going on is the movie widows that came out a few years ago. Uh, that's, you know, it's, there are some parallels there. I'm not going to say that it's a direct copy or anything. There are just parallels. That's all I'm saying. It's an interesting companion. It just, it just kind of came up in my mind a second ago, just because it's like, you know, if you were to make it a little bit more true to life of like how people live in New York, you're going to have something more like that than you would first wives club where they live in like extreme affluence. I mean, oh, yes. when you see Stockard Channing at the beginning, she has like her, you know, housekeeper that I don't know is one of the few people of color in the entire movie, and then you have, um, you know, just her very very decadent place, and I don't know, it's just like very unrelatable. It's a lot of wealth. It's a lot of you know Fifth Avenue, Park Avenue addresses. Yeah, and I think that that's also like goes with mid nineties. There's definitely. A a fascination with the wealthy that's you know pretty big in uh, in movies and TV shows and stuff. Yeah, I mean, I and I guess with the with it, playing with that high amount of money, and if you think about the hijinks that go on and all of the er, er, you know a lot of the stuff that happens, it just seems to be more made possible, I guess, by oh, yeah the affluence. Right. And the connections that they have and the circles that they run in and stuff like that. But yeah, it is. Has Maggie Smith ever played poor? <laughs> uh, oh, I'm sure. I don't she count has. Professor McGonagall because I don't McGonagall, know. Professor McGonagall, you know, very. Well, she's one of the most famous lifestyle. witches. She's very, one of the most famous witches, though, in, in all of the, the magic world. Sure. So, yeah. Hogwarts uh, ain't cheap. No. No, <laughs> it's neither is the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Wait, was she in that? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Do I have the right British? <laughs> British uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure if we looked back, I'm sure there's something where she's not. I mean, this is definitely extreme high society. Oh, hold like, on, Sister Act. There you go. Oh, of course, she's a life of poverty. A life of poverty, of course. There we go. There go. That balances it out. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and Maggie Smith is is wonderful in this, and oh, it's funny amazing. because she's um, what was her name in this? I have it right Gunilla here. Garson. Gunilla Garson Goldberg. And so where I live in Portland, there's a, and I'm not saying that this woman uh, was we um she passed away a few months ago. Um, she was quite old, but her name is uh, was Glenda Goldwater, and she's not like she wasn't like a rich rich woman, but she was very involved in the arts and had like this great art collection. And uh, working at the Portland Art Museum, I would see her a lot because she'd come to a lot of events and just a lot of talks there and stuff. And you know, she kind of has this big presence. She is extremely different from Maggie Smith in the sense that she is covered in tattoos that she got after she was like 70 and you know but she has like this look where you just see her and you're just like oh that is it that is a person that is a you've only seen figure. maggie smith on film and clothed you this don't know yeah maggie smith by the way is one of those actresses that i feel like she's one of the few actors who i can watch 
do pretty much the same. All due respect to Maggie Smith. She is a tremendous actress, but who I can watch kind of do the same thing yeah. over and over again and never get get tired or bored of it. And I'm always entertained. I kind of feel that way with Diane Keaton. You know, she has that like neurotic energy and... Uh, in this movie, especially like you're like, I watched Baby Boom recently. This that was not ah. in preparation for for this. It was be- I watched it before mm. we decided on this one. But um, you know, seeing this, you know, high society person, and you know, Diane Keaton just plays that so well. Especially, you know, with with everything that happens in Baby Boom, her going into the country and everything is just kind of adds to the hilarity of it. But in in First Wives Club, she's so great, just in the way that she just like can't stop babbling because she just. I don't know. She's just got this like nervous energy. And when they're in the, the boozy lunch together after the funeral and she's like, Oh, Bryn. Oh, Elise. I, you know, I just am so sorry about both of your marriages. I wish that I could have helped or that I could have been there in some way. Yeah. Oh, what uh, about you? Me? About your marriage. I mean, I'm- yeah. Mm. Oh, everything's just fine. Really? I mean, Aaron is, so terrific and well now let's think uh we've been married for 25 years yep and uh chris is just perfect i mean lesbians are great nowadays and uh well the marriage is just it's going it's just it's going to be really fine aaron and i are just you know we're we're um we're temporarily sort of kind of you know just a little bit we're separated 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 Separate. <laughs> <laughs> well, we. <laughs> well. And the way that she talks about uh, Chris, her daughter, and she's like, who? And she just found out that she's lesbian, and, and the way that she, lesbians. and the way that she responds to it is is so wonderful. And when she's telling her friends about it, she's like. And, you know, lesbians are great these days. Like, I yeah. love the way that she <laughs> says that. Lesbians are great these days. And and Chris is such an awesome character because she is just, like, unafraid to tell. But she's like, don't tell dad because I want to tell him myself. At the right moment. At the right moment, like <laughs> Christmas right or his moment. birthday or Father's Day, which is so funny because she just, like, hates him so much. Well, or or right after he loses everything. Well, I mean, she at the time didn't when she said that didn't know that, oh, that man. Was how it was gonna the, be oh, it's the so scene good. when they go the scene when they go to the gay bar to find oh my her God, it's so i good. don't care it, and i love that they at least addressed it and we're like why couldn't we have just called her a yeah. because this scene is going to be awesome yeah but, and also <laughs> b it was like well i want to show her that that i'm 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 open to this and and she really is like she meets who you would just kind of assume is her girlfriend you know the girl she's talking with at the bar or whatever and yeah. uh, when she just like meets her she's like oh hi so nice to meet you like she's just like totally cool and, and goldie uh, hawn has the best night goldie in years hawn. because well, everyone's in love with her there's also <laughs> the running gag in the movie where everyone is telling her how great she looks <laughs> you look great the oh. people screaming from the window and the, oh, and the, when, when, when they're, they're in the, bed and they're on the thing the, they're the window, window washing washer. yeah you look great what you look great. Is that Elise Elliott? <laughs> and then she, and then, and Thank Goldie Hawn is so great in that character that, oh, yes, yeah, she's just so happy to hear that. And then when they're in the bar and then Bette Midler ends up <laughs> she's confronting with me. the, yeah, she's coming home with me. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, 
that that's one of those scenes that I want to know how they knew that she was going to be there because what are the chances? <laughs> it's New York. That who knew or, that they knew that Chris was going to be there. Oh, but they just like she's true. lesbian. Let's go to a lesbian bar. Yes, she'll be there. Look, look up lesbian bar in the yellow pages. Right, because there's no 1996. internet. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is no. There is no internet enough to get that information. Yeah, it's not widely only the only the tech nerds that are about to become super cool are using the yeah. internet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. This movie is so much fun. You know. You you can look past the extreme affluence of these women and just enjoy them for their performances and feel good about it, knowing that it is a movie about female redemption, these women who've been wronged. And it is a movie about sisterhood. As you said, sisters are doing it for themselves. And the three of them are just so great together. And, you know, it, talk about another great, one of the most memorable scenes if not the most memorable scene from from the movie is when they there are they in their their like office space right after they get it and when when they sing you don't own me oh the first yeah you don't own me yeah i can't let's do it sure, again. Let's sing i want to sing why why no. not come no. on we'll blend we'll no. sing with you no we'll blend come on, come on. Oh, all of us all together real loud okay yeah. you're gonna sing with me all right we'll okay. Let, okay. never let her down okay. all right to cynthia Happy birthday, wherever you are. All right. Okay, okay Cynthia. Cynthia. Mm. All right, I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, okay. Go. 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 Pick a note of you don't, you you don't, don't own, own me. me. I'm, I'm not, not just one, one of your many toys. You, you don't, don't own me. <laughs> don't, don't say I can't go with other boys. And don't tell me what to do. And it's it's another one of those where it's like, okay, this is an excuse. This is it's an excuse to get a little music to get Bette Midler is gonna sing and Goldie Hawn and you know, and we're gonna get to see Diane Keaton. Oh, but Diane it's Keaton. Such a, but it turns when, loose. When she busts out, it is such an amazing like you talk about the great Diane Keaton moments in this it's movie. Her cathartic it's moment. Su- it's such a release. Yeah. Oh, it's so and great. And she kills it. She's so great. Yeah. yeah. Love her. She's awesome. The looks on uh, Goldie Hawn and Bette Midler's faces are just priceless. So good. Yeah. 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 You could, yeah, I mean, I assume, I think from what I've read, like they, they got along really well and. Well, they got along so well. So I, I just want to mention this. This is an appropriate time to bring this up, but um, I had chatted with a former guest on the show, uh, Carrie Corrigan, who was on our Ishar episode, Ah. because I know that she is a huge First Wives Club fan. And I was like, hey, anything you want us to mention on your behalf? And she said um, she wanted everybody to know we need to wear masks. So the reunion movie actually happens because the three of them are set to star in a movie called Family Jewels. Yes. Yeah. So it goes to show you the three of them certainly get along well enough to all of these years later be doing a, you know, it's kind of like a um, a spiritual sequel, even though it's not the same characters or anything. But, you know, the three of them together, 
it's an iconic trio. It's it's, it's, it's such like, an iconic uh, I, trio that my roommate in college, well, it was just after college, but my roommate right when I was uh, out of college had uh, fish named Goldie, Bet, and Diane. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. I've totally figured out what I was just about to, I was about to bring up a point and then you you said that. Oh yeah. Family jewels. I was, gonna, I was comparing it. I was going to say it is the fierce creatures to a fish called uh, Wanda. I thought that fierce creatures was a sequel. Is it just like a, hey, it's the same people kind of situation? I haven't like seen they, it. Like they run a zoo. I saw it. I saw it in the theater when okay. it came out. I don't remember much about it. I they, always thought they, that it actually was just a fish called one, a sequel, but no, no, no. Okay. It's just a reunion of, I think most of the main cast, Kevin Klein, Jamie Lee Curtis, John Cleese and Michael Palin, Michael Palin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, different, different characters, oh, okay. uh, not a sequel to a fish called Wanda. And all these years later, which is, I think so appropriate. It's like, so much enough time has gone by where it becomes a special thing. Whereas I'm sure with fierce creatures, it was so soon after it was within a decade, right? It was within a decade. Yeah. yeah. So like there's not enough time. And I mean, fish called Wanda certainly has its place in film history, but first wives club has its own kind of personality to it that not a lot of movies really share. No. And I mean, there was, apparently a proposed sequel but Mm. from what i read the studio nixed it because they thought that the movie's success was a fluke oh yeah they didn't expect the movie to do well because it was opening up against i think last man standing with bruce willis Mm -hmm. and and some other action movie that it was coming out against and and it, it it won the box office that weekend and i think they paramount wrote it off as a fluke well which i just don't to show you i don't get Look at that. what we're talking about now yeah <laughs> so i, I really uh, don't, don't get that there there has been a musical that uh uh-huh. has been in san diego and chicago and um, i watched a little bit of it oh did you i meant to look some of it up but yeah, I, I watched a little bit of it chance. on on well, because of course, I w- I was thinking a musical would be a, a almost well, an obvious choice, which yeah. clearly it it it, it was. <laughs> right. There's a musical, and I have have you seen the television series? Oh, I've only seen all of the first and only season. I right. <laughs> you, you've only seen it. <laughs> I've only seen all of it, Dan. Uh, yeah. How as many recently are there? as today, there are nine episodes. And I believe that there is supposed to be a second season in the works. And Dan, would you like to hear a little synopsis for that? I would. Ari, a former lawyer, is the wife of David Montgomery, a senatorial candidate who prioritizes his career over his family. Bree is an orthopedic surgeon who is separated from her husband, Gary, who had cheated on her with the mother of one of their kids' classmates. And Hazel is an ultra-famous singer who has a very public falling out with her cheating husband slash label head, Derek. Once she is kicked out of her penthouse apartment, Hazel ends up living with Bree, as the three girls do their best to have each other's backs. They all work together to help, uh, to help with relationship woes, but mostly focus on Hazel's ugly divorce. So, uh, Michelle Buteau uh, plays Bree, Jill Scott is Hazel, and Ryan Michelle Bath is, is Ari, and um, it's 
and there's you know certainly cameos uh vanessa williams plays uh ari's mother and it's it's very similar to the movie where it's like they're all pretty wealthy living in new york um mm-hmm. you know even the the least wealthy of them is an orthopedic surgeon who has an awesome like brownstone like multi-story brownstone somewhere in brooklyn so it's like they're doing okay that- that's nicer than than uh than Brenda's than Brenda's place. place. Yeah, so it's it's fun, and they certainly have a lot of nods to the movie. The first episode puts them on one of like window washing things, you know. Well, you don't think she'd like do something? Oh no, the old Hazel. No, no, never. It's uh, but it's been so long. All I know is that she needs us. Oh my God, look at all these people in front of Hazel's building. There's no way we can get through all that. I have an idea. Is it a comedy? It's a comedy. Uh, yes, it is a comedy. I mean, Michelle Buteau is a comedian. Jill Scott, I think, has some a comedic chops. She's a yeah. singer, but she plays a singer on the show, and she's acted plenty before also. Um, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know much about Ryan Michelle Bath's um, background, but she is fine. You know, it, the the thing about it, though, is that you keep on waiting for the moment where all three of them are divorced, making them first wives, and... The only one who is going through, well, so like Jill Scott's character is going through a divorce and Michelle Buteau's character, like she serves her husband with divorce papers, but they reconcile and don't get divorced. And and Ryan Michelle Batts' character, she like, you know, he's just so focused on his Senate run but they never like she spends a night at her mother's place. You know, they don't ever break up or anything. She, um, Hmm. I think she briefly like cheats on him with like an old fling, but I don't know. It's like, it doesn't have the, the things about the first wives clubs that make you like really hate the guys. I mean the, the record producer, like you certainly hate him, but like they really try to make you not hate the other guys so much, which is, I guess it's okay. Like, I guess it's okay. If you don't hate the people, I do think that there does need to be a certain element of like these women who have been wronged, who put their, trust and faith in into someone that yeah. they love. So the the deal with um Michelle Buteau's character and her husband Gary is that you know he's like a stay-at-home parent to their two kids and he's doing all of the work for their family and he's at all the like the PTA meetings and he's doing all this and he's doing all that and she's kind of checked out and always with her work and you know, performing surgery at inconvenient times for him, I guess. So he has an affair. Rude. <laughs> I know. So he has an affair and like they eventually go to couples counseling and I don't know. It's just like the therapy seems to be effective and it seems like they're going to be getting on the right path. But then she just like 
figures out who he's had the affair with and then like loses it and then decides to like divorce him. And uh, I don't know. It, it does. It just doesn't have the same impact as the movie. Mm-hmm. And it takes its sweet ass time to like get to all these moments too. Cause it's a full series. So here's the thing with the it, not it hating just, the husbands, but yeah. no, okay, go on. No, I, I guess here. So, all right. Cause in my mind, I'm having this back and forth of like, well, you know, characters should be more well, well-rounded and, and be believable people. But there are people out there who really do terrible things to people who, who love them and who they claim to love. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So here's, here's a better example. So, um, the character Ari and her husband, David, who's the guy running for Senate, she be, she's like this, she's a former lawyer. She stopped practicing in order to focus on his Senate run. And Mm -hmm. he's just kind of like, so focused on that. And, after they finally do have the discussion of like she doesn't feel like she is paid attention to or like listened to or anything like that then they reconcile and everything is fine and she ends up you know hooking up with this guy and it's it happens kind of because like she never had the conversation with her husband and it's like yeah he should have been more attentive but it doesn't I feel like it doesn't warrant him to be part of this story that's like a first wives club relationship. And uh, I mean, if the movie, if the TV show is called something different, it might feel different. But it's like every single moment I'm waiting for him to like be revealed to be doing something really, really shitty or like shitty enough to warrant any kind of like divorce. Mm hmm. And at the end, you know, um, Michelle Buteau's character gets back together with her husband. They patch things up. So, I don't know. It's like, it just falls a little flat for me. Hmm. That's disappointing. You have to see it. Here's the thing. I enjoyed the hell out of watching it. I watched all nine episodes. And it's, spoiler, it ends with them all wearing white power suits, (laughs) you know, or like... You know, Do they sing really you don't fa- own me? You know, they don't. And I read an article saying that there would be a you don't own me, like a new version of you don't own me. But I don't remember it happening or either it happened. Maybe it happened and it was so different that I like didn't even realize that it was happening. Yeah, that makes me think it didn't happen. It, it entirely could have but the thing is like it would have been so heavily disguised as like a you know 2019 r&b song like you know heavily processed beats and stuff like that that it might have just like been unrecognizable that's true yeah that that's that's a good point but it's so, it was fun it definitely has like the feel of a i don't know stuff that like i've seen jill scott and like Michelle Buteau and before, uh, although Michelle Buteau has been in, she's been in a lot of stuff. So more the Jill Scott stuff. Cause Jill Scott, I think has done a lot of like the Tyler Perry movies and things like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, and those kind of have like a certain feel to them. And this kind of has that feel to it. You know, there's a lot of like, it's very like jokey 
but with no reaction to the jokes. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It makes me think a little bit, and I don't know, I guess I haven't seen, I I really haven't seen this movie in also like 25 years. I keep thinking of waiting to exhale. And I don't know how sim. I remember like Angela Bassett setting like some guy's car on fire. Yeah. So I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember if, well, this was my, one of my housemates would watch it. He would have like a movie of the week and he would just watch that movie every day. And he was like, I think he had dropped, he had dropped out of school at that point Mm. and was, I I think he might've been living off money. He made doing some like, you know, professional theater. Okay. But I remember he, he like he would have movie of the week and he would just watch that movie all week. And like some some weeks it was The Wiz and <laughs> The Never Ending Story was a popular one. Oh, what was the other? There was this other sci-fi. Was this one Jamal? We, this was Jamal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I definitely watched a movie or two with him when I would go visit. We watched, I think, Mall Rats together. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. That was never movie it might, of the week. It might not have been one that he put on. He might have just been no, that, around that for that. That would have been me. I don't think that, but the thing is, like, I don't even think that it was you. Like, I think there was another one of your roommates, like, had put it on. It yeah. might have been your copy of it, which is Almost very definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, like, waiting. So, I remember waiting to exhale. Like, I remember, like, they were wealthy. I don't think they were married. I don't, I, I don't think mm. the, the characters were, like, were married. I think it was this group of women who were friends who were like kind of navigating the waters of, of relationships, Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, good movie from what I remember, uh, Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, and, um, off the top of my head, I can't remember who else. Yeah. I don't know. I remember her. I I can think of like her face and one of the other women. And I just can't remember her name. Ah, it's Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Lila Rashawn, uh, Lila Rashawn. Yeah. And oh, Dennis Lila Rashawn was Gregory Hines. Good cast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I could not remember right. Layla Rashawn was the one I was I was thinking of. Um, and then yeah, Loretta Devine. Ooh, and you know who's in there? Giancarlo Esposito. Nice. Just saying. He's everywhere. He's he's everywhere in the He's movies. everywhere. And in the nineties. Off off Mike, Dan and I were talking about Mandalorian. I uh, he's a great Star Wars villain. He is. Los Pollos Hermanos. He's hey, he's great. He's been he's been in so many things and man, he is just defined by Gus Fring for me. Oh, and for most people, yeah. but he really makes a strong case for like making you see him as so many other things. I mean, he's been around for so long. Well, now that you tell me he's in Mandalorian, I'm gonna, my interest has peaked a little bit more. Moff Gideon. Um, his, I think I knew he was in it, but yeah, he's I great. I had he's great because he's just so yeah. menacing. And yeah, anyway, anyway, okay, so, Dan, you were you were getting to what we talk about on this show. Yeah, I was. So, John, all right, uh, you know, Hollywood, the powers that be, they've got you in in the room, and they've got the, the check right there, and they're like, we're not signing this check for you until you do something with the First Wives Club. What are you going to do? Okay, so we're currently Hot in a shot. situation where we do have a TV series that is, you know, last year, 2019 was when the first season was out. This is an active show. And that's kind of where I would have gone with it. But I And musical has already been done. 
obviously it's ripe for that. I do think that this is a great opportunity for a charitable live read event. That's a great idea. That is a very current great idea. It's a current great idea because it's happening with a lot of movies, but I feel like this is one where you'd get a lot. There's, it's, it's such a wide audience. And I said wide, I've, not white, just to be clear, because it sounded like white and it could have been heard that way. No argument either way. But it also has, I would say, a potentially like older, wealthier audience that would pay money to sit in on a on a Zoom reading of uh, these actresses. I mean, this totally. whole cast, but especially these actresses. Our mother would, would, do, sure. would do it. Absolutely. And the thing is like, Get Jill Scott and Michelle Buteau and Ryan Michelle Bath in there and like include this next generation of the First Wives Club. Like Definitely. really, really make it a uh, a robust experience. You know, you have people like Timothy Oliphant, who this I think was his first movie. This like, was his screen debut. This is his yes. screen. And what a great screen debut. Bur- a legend is born. What is it? Something Artunian or something? Yeah, a- Brett, Brett Artunian. I think you had it. Before, yeah. You've read the script. Oh, yes. Oh, it is so... I mean, it's utterly original. It's so good. You're so gifted, Brad. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) And Monique. (laughs) Monique. Yeah, let's say Monique. Um, She is a a great character. Thank you. Man. (laughs) What a kick. (laughs) Elise Elliott in a Brett Artunian film. So tell me, how do you see her? <clears throat> well, uh, I think we go for grotesque. <laughs> what? Yeah, all the way. I mean, no makeup, overhead lighting. You know, bring out every wrinkle, every crag. God, with you in the part. Monique's mother's not going to be just another Jurassic flesh bag in a wheelchair. She's epic. It's like Elise Elliott, the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> wow. He's so good. Um, And, you know, Dan and I have talked about this off mic, but, you know, he is just popping up in everything lately. uh, And he's just kind of always been there. He's someone who does who does one thing to say about him. And then this we're not here to talk about Timothy Oliphant, but why not? Um, I love he does have a you look at roles of his his well-known roles kind of like uh in Deadwood and and Justified and they seem kind of similar. Uh-huh. But then I look at him in Fargo yeah. in, in the latest season of Fargo where he's playing the uh like the is he a, um the Mormon FBI agent yeah. <laughs> super yeah. clean cut uh he's great. And, and um go i remember him in go i think that was mm-hmm. the first movie i saw him in where he plays the the drug dealer yeah the ecstasy dealer yeah yeah, yeah. timothy oliphant's awesome great big fan i uh, go to tpublic.com find our merch from uh, that has it it's the it's the only fans logo except it has his name on it i was watching first wives club and i was like Ah, Timothy Oliphant. And then I was like, Timothy OnlyFans. And then I was like, okay, I, I have to pause this movie for a while and make that Oh, you that see, it's happen. funny because I thought it went with you seeing the OnlyFans logo and saying OnlyFans, well, OnlyFans. Only no, actually, the logo was something that I wasn't really familiar with, but I 
you know, OnlyFans has been something that's been coming up a lot this year because so many people who have been out of work have been supplementing their income, you know, or creating an income completely with OnlyFans. So it's been just like at the, you know, it's just out there. It's, and it's out there. It's in the zeitgeist. It's in the zeitgeist for sure. And um, when I saw the logo for it, I was like, oh, that is such like a specific logo. It would be really fun to do a Timothy Oliphant um, version of that. Uh, and I think that's From how he's- John's head in, onto your body. You know, uh. <laughs> that's how all these things work. That's how all these things work. But yeah, uh, check that out. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Dan, what would you what would you do? Well, first of all, I would take that musical, move it off Broadway and have it be drag. Uh, <laughs> I would I would get the just get the three best drag queens in New York right there. And, and hey, why not Broadway with that? Um, in fact, I would only want that to go to Broadway with a um, uh, with drag queens as mm-hmm. the first wives club but really what i would like to see would be a remake a more contemporary remake that it would be more of the first partners club because i you know gay marriage ha- is yeah. uh you know is now it's just called marriage yeah, it's marriage. Exactly. So why wouldn't, so why would you not, I, I think that one thing we, you know, we don't think about is, is like, well, yes, they're also divorce, you know, yeah, right, just, yeah. you know, straight people get married and divorce, gay people get married and get divorced. So why would you not have a, you know, a, 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 an ex-husband Yeah. In would this, it... who, who is wronged yeah. by his by by his husband like you know and I, I billy know eichner i yeah billy eichner would be great i know that you've said i know that you said remake but would there be any kind of connections to the original like would it exist in the same universe where like they were aware of the like you know these women who did had done all this like would I, that be part I, of it only only if i would say only if you had it in that in the like you know Oh, this support group isn't around anymore. Oh, there used mm. to be this this center, and it, it's no longer that. It's a Shake yeah. Shack now. And what are we? And, and so, I guess in that context, why not? Why not? My instead of a re- remake, make it a reboot, and you could loosely have you know reference back to the um cynthia i forget the whole name of it but to put them in the position the cynthia where swan that, griffith crisis center yeah i mean and there's no reason why you wouldn't open like you know open the movie similarly or have this sparked by by a a suicide and it doesn't have to be i think you could do this and these could just be like they don't have to be wealthy socialites to have to have it work you don't need to have i don't think you need to have one of the characters be a famous actress Mm -hmm. for this to work no i think you can just make this work as you know they're college they're college friends who haven't seen each other in a while and they get they're brought back together 
by the the death of a friend and they realize that they are that's when they realize that they are heading towards being in those same circumstances based on what they've had happen in their lives and and they get together and i mean uh, yeah you would have to throw age would be a consideration and that was actually something really i don't know if it was just smart or lucky but Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, and Bette Midler all turned, I think, fifty, mm-hmm. around, like during the making of this movie. Yeah, like around the same time. So they, the age, age in college is a little bit different. College, you know, you don't always have everyone's the same age. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, but you know, I don't know. I was just, and I, I hadn't really given much thought about a cast. Billy Eichner was just kind of the, the no. name that came to mind because yeah. I could see and Billy Eichner being amazing, in yeah. in this type of movie and in that role, and give him some. I mean, like put him in kind of the the Diane Keaton role, like just because <laughs> he's Billy Eichner and he, you know, he has that persona where he's he's brash doesn't mean he's got to be Brenda or Elise for that matter. I mean, he could be all three of them for all I care. He's great. <laughs> uh, Billy Eichner, first first wives club, absolutely. Uh, but <laughs> if yeah, you're listening, I, let's make it happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think I think he's just such a, a charismatic performer and a good actor. Yeah, and I I wouldn't mind seeing him in in more things. And, and you know that the, he'd be able to belt out "You Don't Own Me" like oh with. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, who else would you put in there with him? Maybe maybe you you put in a, a, a Kristen Wiig, a sure. Leslie Jones, uh, you know, you get Paul Feig to, to direct. <laughs> yeah, right. And well, then, then Melissa McCarthy is going to be there. But she's Gunilla Garson uh, Goldberg. No, uh, oh. <laughs> no, no, that's no, who no. Kristen yeah. Wiig would be. Oh, that's who... <laughs> That would be no, I, I Rachel Dratch. <laughs> no, oh um, yeah, no, you can. I mean, look, and bring Bronson Pinchot back. Why not? Mm-hmm. Make, just make him Serge this time. Yeah, <laughs> that's what Serge. I. That's and that's Sounds the other like thing I want to do with this is is I want to have the I I I want to have that backstory that takes us from how Serge went from being an arms dealer in Beverly Hills Cop 3 to being Duarte the worst interior designer in New York by 1996. You know, I and maybe you know this, but like I really would love to know what happened with him because he clearly was this like standout performer in Perfect Strangers. And he was in two of the Beverly Hills Cop movies. He was in True Romance. And then it's just like disappeared. You first forgot Black Second Club, Sight with, with, with John Larroquette? I didn't forget it. <laughs> Everybody did. But that's the thing is it's like I'd no, love to know. I'd love to know what happened because he was great at what he did. At least I think so. Yeah, you know, I wonder how he, I wonder if he kind of got, I don't know, I guess, uh, pigeonholed by doing a lot of like the, the accent Wacky characters. Accents. Yeah. Yeah. Where he does kind of, it's not a very specific accent. Mm-hmm. So, I mean. Yeah, and then he did yeah. True Romance where he didn't have it and then people weren't interested after that. 
It's like, oh, right, but he, he could just sound like a normal person. Pass. He's so good in that, though. He's very uh, he good does in that. have, I, I believe he, it sounds like he does have a show on uh, the Bronson Pin Show. The, the Brian, the Bronson Pin Show. No, yeah. uh, it's on the DIY network, the Bronson Pin Show Project. Really? And it is a, <laughs> oh, I will read you the description Hollywood's favorite character actor. Okay. Bronson Pin Show. Has a secret life. He's been quietly... John, this is the answer to your question, so listen. He's been quietly buying neglected old homes and buildings and restoring them into eye-catching masterpieces. Each episode of the Bronson Pinchot Project finds Bronson and his crew of local contractors renovating another room at one of his properties in Harford, Pennsylvania. Bronson Pinchot is a hands-on renovator with the skills of a contractor and the eye of a top designer. Rural Harford becomes the backdrop for a unique mix of reality TV and home improvement. So I guess his design talents have improved since First Wives Club. Ten worse. He got a show. He got a show on 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 the DIY. No, it's on. It is on as we speak. Well, not only Actually, are sisters no, not doing it for themselves, but Bronson Pinchot is doing it for himself. Do it. Do it yourself. With, DIY. With a crew. Yes, he's doing it for <laughs> yes. Di for why? Di for why? The Bronson Pinchot Show Project. Dan, <laughs> what are we doing on our next freaking episode? Episode ninety seven. 1997 what are we doing we're going to 1997 and revisiting another filmmaker out in the zeitgeist now mank director david fincher and his 1997 thriller the game starring michael douglas and sean penn what i i always love it when we go from one movie to another that are so different from each other so different. That makes there me is happy. no. You don't own well, we, me. We went from Waterworld to First yeah. Wives Club to the game. That's so great. Uh, but that's no, what, that's very what we do. We haven't done it. That's David a nice thing, have we? No, this is our first time talking about David Fincher, who's one of my favorite filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to uh, to talk more about about his work and and especially his his work on on the game. Yeah, well, we'll get into it on the next one. Sounds good. All right, Dan. Well, while you and two of your gal pals are waltzing down the streets of New York in your white power suits, I wish you a good journey. You don't tell me what to do, John. You don't own me. (laughs) Good journey. Just one of your many toys. You 